Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Freedom Talks podcast. Uh, happy to have Aaron back on today. Uh, Aaron uh, Buffuno, if you remember before, was on our EDS podcast. Um, and she's super knowledgeable, um, especially when it comes to uh, treating youth athletes. You see a lot of high school-aged athletes, college-aged athletes, uh, correct? Correct. Especially at our uh, after-school hours that we have, that like 3 to 7 o'clock time period. Um, she deals, she's got uh, special training in uh, blood flow restriction training. She has special training for uh, treating the ACL and has a really great background on that. So today what we wanted to talk about with her was um, looking at youth athletes and as more parents are more gung-ho about getting their kids training earlier and earlier and specializing in certain sports earlier and earlier. And we just wanted to take um, a little look at why it's important um, to do certain kinds of training and then look at what might be a little bit ludicrous in terms of what we're asking kids to do in youth athletics. So um, we really want to target this podcast towards uh, the parents of teenage athletes or maybe middle school athletes uh, and high school athletes um, to give them a little bit of information of maybe what they should be expecting out of their child and what they should be doing with their child to keep them safe in whatever sport they're playing. As Aaron sees a lot of these patients, Aaron, I wanted to kind of ask you about what do you see that's uh, specifically lacking in the training or strength and conditioning aspect of um, youth athletes um, today? Um, it's a good question, but before we really kind of start talking about that, I think to preface anything that I say today uh, during this podcast, it's important to note that despite the recommendations we're giving, this is a very generalized um I guess generalized advice is every person, particularly children, or if we want to say adolescents, so any any person from the age of like two to eighteen can vary very differently. So if you're picturing an eight-year-old versus a sixteen-year-old, male and female, they're both extremely different. Not only depending on the sport they play, the activities they do, but also just very they're in very different spots during their development, and also can have very different coordination skills and. Um, a lot of other pieces that do compound that. So despite the fact, before we even get into it, just because we say something doesn't mean it's an end-all, be-all for that age or that group. Um, but generally, one of the things I see the most in most individuals um, are lacking, they're definitely lacking in core strength. Now, core strength is like one of those topics that's tossed, tossed around a ton where people are like, oh, core strength, core strength, I need to work on my core strength. But what does that really mean? Um, most people think it's just your stomach muscles. Like you need strong abs, you need to look ripped, they need to be really visible, but that does not necessarily demonstrate core strength. Core definitely, yes, does mean your abdominal muscles, but it includes trunk muscles, hip muscles. A lot of the muscles in your legs do attach to your pelvis, which is part of your core. That's your base where a lot of your the initiation of movement comes from. So core doesn't just mean stomach muscles. It means a combination and utilizations of multiple muscles at one time to maintain spinal and hip stability. So that's probably one of the most important pieces is um, as kids are growing, no matter what age, as soon as you start growing, your body's now confused. Is it can't figure out how to use muscles in a certain 
in any way, really. Uh, I used to be a competitive figure skater, and my mom, anytime I would start falling a lot, like I'd start coming home and my clothes would be soaking wet because I would be, I'd spend more time like laying on the ice than actually skating on it. My mom would always put me up against the wall to measure and see if I was growing because as soon as I'd grow even like a quarter of an inch, an eighth of an inch, even less than that, there'd be a significant change in my lack of coordination or lack of strength. So then my mom being a physical therapy assistant would actually modify my exercises and we'd change things just based off of my growth pattern at the time. And as soon as I got a little bit stronger in my core muscles, so again, hips, trunks, et cetera, that really made a big change in my time off of the ice and led to drier clothes and less, less falls, which felt obviously better on the rest of my body. But um, that's kind of where at least that strength really comes into play is, is again, as you, you get taller by one sixteenth of an inch, your core, your hip muscles, and everything are now almost too weak and don't know how to tolerate that one extra, like, sixteenth of an inch that you have now in your legs and your arms. So what it kind of, kind of sounds like is that it's, you know, strength is going, strength training is going to be extremely important to kind of come up with a program that you can continually do or at least come up with activities that are going to be fun for your child to kind of participate in that are going to promote the growth of those core muscles in order to kind of stabilize them as they grow older and taller. And Absolutely. And one of the benefits of some of the strength exercises and the way PT has changed in the last 10 to 15 years is it's not just about doing exercises on a table anymore. It's a lot more about finding exercise that translates into what you do every day. So being able to stand on one leg and put your pants on, which might not be important to your kids, but might be important to you. But then fast forwarding it to anybody, again, that's in that sports specific age, younger high school age, middle school age, that they want to be able to throw a ball faster, but certain parts of their body are hurting, or they want to be able to kick a ball harder. So a lot of those pieces are not only, or a lot of the strength that we're focusing on is not just on the table, but doing more multiple planar, rotational, and what we call functional exercises that allow for that easy transition of strength, but also mobility. So a lot of these multi-joint motions or multi-planar motions that we do in some of these exercises will, again, translate more to the activities they're doing. All right. Um, could you quickly, you touched on functional strength. Um, could you kind of explain that term? Because I feel like sometimes it's a very broad term and people are like, okay, well, I, I kind of understand functional training in the aspect of like, if my kid's trying to kick a soccer ball, I want his leg to be strong. Um, but what does functional training mean to a physical therapist in keeping a child healthy? So if we were talking about, let's use one specific example for functional training. Um, one of the really simple exercises that a lot of people are given in physical therapy for core strength. Again, core strengthening, kind of simple term, but uh, it helps strengthen the hips. It helps with hip extension. So it basically helps you stand up taller. So a lot of people will start out with giving the bridge. So that's where you lay on your back, both knees are bent up, and you use your feet to push your hips up off of the table. Um, during this exercise, nobody thinks of this as functional. You're like, okay, and functional meaning, can this be translated into something I'm doing every day? Now, the bridge, even of itself, aside from maybe rolling in bed or 
trying to get up off of the floor in a different way. You really couldn't picture that, again, being something you do during every day. But it's a good way to start training somebody to work on a squat. So when you're doing a bridge, you're using a lot of the same musculature, but a good majority of your body is still on a table and it's being supported. So if you're going through some back pain, hip pain, knee pain, you're able to reduce your overall body load, but still able to strengthen the muscles, but in a way that your body feels safe and protected. Because if your body feels like there's any threat to it, the mu- certain muscles will kind of start spasming, start tightening up, which then leaves, leads to compensations and other muscles shutting down. Is at any point, if your body feels like it's under siege or something is kind of attacking it or causing pain, it's either going to tighten things up to prevent movement or it's going to start shutting things down because your body thinks that that activation of those muscles is actually increasing your pain. Um, so that's where like the bridge is a good way to start, but once someone possibly gets a little bit better at the bridge, they're able to tolerate more repetitions. Maybe you could weight the bridge and have them rest weights on their hips that once that gets better and their motion is okay, there's much less pain, then you can start to transfer that specific motion into a standing squat. So you're using the same muscles. Yes, in theory, it's a little bit different, but you're still using the general joints, the general muscles in a similar way, but it's allowed to be transitioned to an activity you do every day. Yes, maybe you don't walk around the house in a squat, but you're still getting out of chairs, you're getting out of bed in the morning, you're getting into and out of a car. Those are things that you're doing every day that, again, it's kind of hard to see laying down matching that, but it's all about the way the joints move and just taking it from one easy step to a little bit harder to truly make it more functional. So you kind of, there as you're taking... um you know, potentially taking a patient or an athlete through a progression of exercises to slowly uh, increase their strength and get them to do other more advanced exercises. You did mention like pain and uh, potential immobility of certain joints and um, the shutting down of certain muscles. So that kind of leads to the question is like, is strength training going to be safe for someone who's really young and like what ages are we kind of looking at where you can start doing some of that strengthening um, and, and is getting your child into like a strength and conditioning program earlier rather than later going to be safe for the child? So that's a very good question because in past years there has been a lot of research saying, and just a lot of myths out there saying that strength training is not good for youth, um, meaning even 12 to 15 age age groups and even younger than that. Um, most people even have a little bit of fear with high school students doing strength and conditioning. But there have been quite a few research, um, actual like scientific research studies that have been done in the past five years or so that have all come out saying that strength training is not harmful. It's actually extremely beneficial as as your child is going through different growth spurts, it's important to keep straining and stressing muscles in a good way. But the most important emphasis on it is based on safety. Is you Just kind of how I was talking about with that last exercise, is you can't expect a 10-year-old to walk into a gym and take a barbell and hold a, up over his head or do a bench press or any of those big heavy lifting exercises you imagine high schoolers or people when you're at the gym every day doing is there has to be a natural progression where you can resist and you can't wait things. It's just all dependent on the age and just, again, a natural safe progression. Now, when I mean safety, safety can mean many different things, but 
truly when we're talking about a weightlifting or strength training, um, there's a lot of different factors that can come into play. So if your child or um, someone you know is looking to start weightlifting, particularly at a younger age and maybe has never done any of those activities, it is important to have an actual trained professional do something with them, not, not someone down the street that one time did some exercises in their basement. It's really important to have someone that can do a full evaluation as, as your child is growing and moving through different developmental periods, there are times where maybe their hormones are changing, particularly for females, where their joints become a little bit more mobile, where that puts them at a greater risk for injury, or depending on their type of activity, whether they're an overhead throwing athlete, so a baseball player, a swimmer, using their arms a lot, there are certain exercises that should really be emphasized to, again, prevent any excessive overstretching or utilization of certain muscles and prevent injury long-term for that. So an overall assessment to determine what areas are at risk of getting injured, what areas are already slightly possibly involved, where they're slightly painful, but the child or individual is just working through the pain anyway, and then determining their overall base level strength. As most people can't walk into a gym again and just start doing a bench press or carrying 10 pound weights as there again needs to be a natural progression with easy exercises and then working into compounded movements that again will be very sports specific, but they don't always start that way. So knowing, too, that you're not going to walk into a gym and start doing the coolest exercise program you've ever seen that might be, hate to say, a little boring to start, but um, that's something that I always educate my patients on for, uh, like, during their first appointment is it might not seem very important, but I always do a lot of education on, for example, the bridge is even though this doesn't seem like you're doing anything that's related to possibly wrestling or um or football, but every time you come off the line in football or every time you're trying to get someone off of you during a wrestling match, you're actually doing those same motions, just not in that same individual position. You're rotating, you're moving, you're doing other things, but it's a good baseline to start at before we start loading it up and making it a lot harder. So when you talk about healthcare professionals and having like a, you know, the right people looking at your child, um, Obviously, they've got, you know, your child probably goes in every year for a physical. Um, it's required in most sports anyway. You have to get that signed off. Um, we're biased. We're a physical therapy company, or we work at a physical therapy company. So we obviously think that it's what you guys do um, is very important. Um, is, is that it? Is it, you know, get a checkup with your physical therapist along with your doctor and kind of get their advice as to where your child's at? Or is there someone else that you're kind of enlisting? There are, um, of course, I do think physical therapy is great. So your local physical therapist would be a great option. But I know a lot of times based off of school schedules and truly once the school year gets started, it gets kind of crazy, which of course, we're in that time right now. Um, but athletic trainers at the local high school are a really good option as they are there to help, but they're not always in the weight room. So I do think that that's, more, that's a little bit tougher to try and enlist their help unless hopefully your high school has a little less injuries and then they have a little extra free time on their hands where they could possibly um, help with some training in the athletic training room. But then some schools do have strength and conditioning coaches. Some of the gym 
gym teachers or phi ed teachers, whatever they're called at your school, they do, some of them do have a sports conditioning or a strength training background or a personal training background. So someone that does has, have a license or a specific certification in any of those lifting or strength training activities, particularly if your child is doing child or young adult, teenager, if they're doing any compound lifts or Olympic style lifts, if we're talking bench pressing, split jerks, hang cleans, any sort of power lifting, that's where I would be a little bit more concerned if they were not working with somebody that did have a significant background is when you start doing some of those compounded movements that are with a big heavy dumbbell loaded up on both sides and then they're quickly actively taking that big dumbbell and throwing it up over their head. I'd want to make sure, one, that they're getting spotted correctly, that they have someone there that's really watching their form because it can get really easy to get injured during situations like that because you're moving a lot of weight around really fast and it can get out of hand if you're getting fatigued, they've already been through a long school day, maybe already had practice as well. So it is really important to make sure someone, whether they have I would say make sure they have a license or a certificate or something where it's specifically related to sports training, um, sports conditioning, or personal training. The, the big one that I see, um, a lot of people have a CSCS. That's a good one to look for, um, for background. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I look at high school kids lifting weights um, a couple times a week. And sometimes it can be brutal. And if, you know, you want to kind of get them in the weight room and kind of getting in that habit of, of strengthening and things like that. But you can look at some of these kids' forms and you automatically know that they're not ready for that yet. And like you said, you have to start with the strengthening the right muscles so that they can and starting with basic things like the bridging and things like that so that they can progress up into those bigger into those bigger lifts um, that definitely do have a lot of benefits but if you're injured because of those lifts and you're out of your sport it doesn't do you any good right. I unfortunately have seen so many people um, so many like mid, young adult like the teenage really I mean multiple age groups really anywhere from 12 to like 25 where again, it's not just high school students, but um, people that are trying to do like Russian deadlifts, single leg deadlifts, and they're just using heavy, heavy weight, but we're never taught the right way to do it. Even like a basic squat, whether you're doing front loaded, back loaded, overhead squat, some of those are just like the basic and I hate to say simple exercises, but they are definitely compound, require a lot of joint motion. And if you're just not doing it correctly or we're not taught correctly, you can get a lot of low back injuries. So I don't mean to like point fingers, but I see a lot around here, football injuries that occurred during season and they can't necessarily put their finger on what caused the pain, but it always seems to be like sometime within 24 to 48 hours after a lift and a practice with pads. So when you're lifting and you're heavy loading the spine, if there hasn't been necessarily a change in, in the overall volume of training, which is how much you're lifting for how many sets and how many reps, you could be loading the spine significantly and then they go put pads on and they do a full hitting practice and now you're just loading the spine 10 times more than you just were because of the lift. So it's not necessarily due to the lifting itself, but it's a combination of the straw that broke the camel's back. Is it the lifting plus maybe some poor mechanics? Now they're tired from school, they didn't sleep well, and then they go and they put pads on and hit for two hours. So 
it's not like any school particularly in general. It's just the one that I've seen most, most consistently is it's just a very vigorous sport. They've only have so many weeks of competition. So when they hit it, they hit it hard. And I do see a benefit to it to a point as long as it's being done safely. And again, so that you're not out of your sport because then your kid is just absolutely devastated because they missed their senior year and it might be the last year they play football and you want to see them out on the field as much as they want to because you don't want to see them I don't want to say suffering, but you don't want to seem depressed after the fact that they missed out on their last year playing. Yeah, and I, I don't want. I want to stress the point that those compound lifts can be done safely, but they just have to be taught correctly. And something as simple as like not having the right ankle flexion or right motion or knees caving in or things like that can have a direct impact on your spine taking and accommodating those forces instead of the proper muscles and the proper joints. And that's what's leading to it. And you really need to have someone who has an eye for that, look at how they're doing it so that it's done safely and they can stay injury free. And it's just, it it might be something as simple as a few tips to, to get there, or it might be something like you said, as simple as isolating certain muscles that need to be strengthened in order to compensate for those loads. Absolutely. So I want to get into um, kind of, we want to give some examples of exercises that uh, you think are vital to any youth athlete um, to make sure that they, as they grow and develop, that um they stay strong and injury-free. So can you give us um, a a few exercises that you think are essential um, for young athletes to learn how to do? So I'm going to do my best to try and verbally explain these. I mostly, um, in my head, I have quite a few that are like very common exercises that you would understand, but I also will give some progressions on them so that you can kind of see the understanding of where they go and how they would then translate to a sport. So before I officially go into those exercises, some of the words I've said so far today include multiplanar. So we're talking about a plane, we're either meaning front, back, side to side, or rotational. So we want to make sure all exercises do have a multiplanar element that because in a sport, you're never just running straight ahead all the time. Even if you're a track athlete and you're running a 100-meter dash, there can be a little bit of a diagonal to the track where one foot almost seems a little bit elevated compared to the other. So there's never just one activity where you're just playing straight forward and backward. So you want to have those multiplanar elements. Um, And then again, that functional aspect we talked about earlier is even though an exercise might seem very simple at the base, there are ways to advance it and make it again more multiplanar, include multiple joints at one time that then make it translate to an like your activity or more sport specific activity uh, a little bit, a little bit more. Um, So that first exercise we'll talk about is the plank. It's just nice and easy, very simple. Most people know uh, what that exercise is. The most difficult position I usually will have patients not start out with, but I will test them there first to see if they can tolerate that position, is being on their forearms with their head, back, and legs all being in one straight line, with then their toes being the only other portion that's um, 
touching the ground. So if they're able to maintain a good neutral spine position, then that's kind of where we'll start is working up into, I don't want to say bursts of holding, but starting with 15 seconds, 30, one minute. Um, we even have a doctor in town that likes to have their athletes complete three minutes of a plank before they're released to play. So there's just very, there's differing ideas, whether or not you believe in one minute, three minutes, or multiple sets of just 30 seconds, there are different ways you can modify that to make it more challenging. Um, from there, you can make it easy by modifying it to where you push up onto your hands in almost a push-up position. Because as soon as you put your hands down, it does make it a little less challenging because your whole back is not parallel to the ground. You kind of take gravity out of the picture a little bit, so it does strain your muscles a little bit less. And then you can also drop down to your knees like a modified push-up position, which then again takes more pressure off of your back and again the arms and the rest of your body. So that that's kind of a nice like ease of... Um, so that's a nice way to regress the exercise and make them a little bit easier if maybe the athlete's not quite ready for that yet. Like this is a great, like when you were talking about that modified plank where I have someone on their hands and knees doing the plank, like I had someone the other day that's nine years old coming in with scoliosis. They really could not even remotely close hold a safe back position in the regular plank or the plank on their hands. So we had to drop down to a modified plank where they were on their knees and their hands because that was the best, safest position that they could do. And we'll eventually move them up from there. But at that point, that was the best that they could do. Um, and then if we were to truly go on the other end of the plank, you can start doing moving planks where you're walking around with your hands and feet on the ground. So you're doing sidestepping or you're reaching. Sometimes I'll throw or kick a ball gently to them where they have to hit it back to me with their hands um, just to make it um, more challenging, not only in the mental aspect, but in a physical aspect is they have to figure out how to quickly move and respond to me um, while also maintaining their safe back position. Um, so the second exercise would be a bridge. That's kind of my go-to. I do love a good bridge. Again, the very simple one is just with your knees bent, just lifting your butt up off of the mat or off the floor and then lowering back down. Um, but it's really easy to progress the bridge really quickly where you can do a single leg bridge where you'll either hug one knee up to your chest and then use that other leg to lift your butt up off the ground. So you're truly just using one leg to lift your hips up. Um, Generally, for some of my athletes, if they've been out of sport for any period of time, one of my basic rules I have is they have to be able to complete 30 or more single leg bridges on one leg with good form before I even talk about letting them to return to even partial play. Um, that single leg bridge being able to maintain their hips in an even position without letting one side of their body dip down while their hips are in the air, it really proves that they can maintain core stability, that they have good hip strength on the side that's on the ground. Um, and one, it shows that they've been working towards it too. Some people just want to get back to the court or back on the field, but if they're not working towards it and they're not strong enough, then they're just going to put themselves at a greater risk of, of another injury. But with the bridge, the great thing, again, aside from making it a single leg, is you can weight it up pretty easily. Is You can give them dumbbells to rest on their hips. Um, you can do an even more modified version where laying down, you can put their feet up on a box or on a weight bench so that they have to lift their hips a lot higher. Or there's another option called a hip thrust where you can put your head and your, sh or your, head and your shoulders on the edge of a weight bench with your butt on the ground and then use your feet to, lift your, to lift, lift your hips up so that your knees 
hips and shoulders are all in line with that weight bench. So basically your hips are just having to traverse a much greater range of motion. So that's much more similar to, again, a football player being down in a stance ready to go as they're basically knees to chest on the ground and they need to be, they need to be able to push up hard and fast to hit if they're a lineman or if they're trying to get downfield. So you're taking more of those knee to chest into full extension motions and applying it more to their sport. A lot of a lot of the athletic and fitness community are really embracing the hip thrust as like one of the main compound lifts that you should be doing because it's so good for the glutes and it promotes so much explosive power through your hips and it doesn't matter what sport you're in that that's always going to help. And it's it's such a great exercise because you can modify it and in, I hate to say 8 million different ways, but there are so many different ways you can change it. So I will have some people on a Swiss ball with their head and shoulders on a ball. So now it's unsteady. And of course, only if it's, they're safe enough to do so, then I'll give them a weighted bar across their hips and have them sit and either statically hold it or do it, do a couple quick pulses and then lower down. So there's a bunch of different ways you can change it and modify it for whether you're going for endurance or if you're going for power, then we do more quicker spurts where they have to lower down and then push up and hold. So you can definitely modify it based off of what they need and what, what you're trying to do. So I almost... I want to say I've read a couple studies too that says that with EMG testing, they've actually shown that this is one of like the better tests that you can utilize to truly get like some of the best glute activation. Um, and EMG is a study that you use little electrodes to determine how much electrical output a muscle is, is basically pushing out during an exercise. So they can use that to determine whether or not muscles are working or not working during, during a certain activity. And obviously if you can do it safely. I mean, you can really load that exercise. I, I think I was reading one study that they said the the best outcomes that they were getting from the exercise is when it was loaded up to like 315 pounds <laughs> for, for male athletes yeah. um, that were, you know, college or professional athletes, obviously. But um, like it's, like you said, it's, it can vary widely in how you do it and it's beneficial right. in a lot of ways. And now just to kind of like go off of what Brady said, when like you're, if you're picturing someone doing a 315 pound lift, they're not doing a three sets of 10 no, is when you're no. doing a heavier, heavier weight like that. We're talking maybe a three set or three rep max is three to five reps. And that's all they're really doing. Or that might even be their one repetition maximum, meaning that's, that's the heaviest they can lift and they can lift it safely where you're just doing a lower number of lifts. So anytime you increase your weight to something that high, then you reduce your reps to match that weight. Again, the, the complexity with that and programming and making sure that you're following a correct program could be a few more podcasts, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's, it's so in-depth, and it just goes back to like how important it is to really talk to someone who knows what they're doing um, so that, A, you don't get injured, but the, you, know, you could reach a lot of potential, but you have to have the right advice, and you have to have the right things in place to do that. So, sorry, I interrupted, oh, no, but I, I like that exercise a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> so continue. Um, so then we're going into a squat. So again, now we're getting up more onto our feet. So this is more of like a normal everyday activity you could picture. Uh, again, starting with double leg with no weights. Then you can start weighting it up either a front squat or a back squat where you're holding weights in the front, holding weights in the back. You can also add bands. I love to do this, particularly with my female athletes that are at risk of get, having an ACL injury if they're soccer, anything agility that's on a field. Um, I will put a band around their knees and have them do squats. Is 
just one of those natural um, risk factors for ACLs is the knee collapsing inward. If you imagine that knock knee position, and that happens a lot during any of those quick cutting uh, sports. So doing activities that really engage and focus on that good spine and good hip alignment and good activation of the glutes will help reduce injury. Um, and then again, advancing it into a single leg. So single leg squats then are a great way to, again, just challenge the glute muscles, challenge the core, maintain neutral hip stability, and then taking that and making it a little bit harder. So then the next exercise would be a squat jump. So then this is another thing we look at for any risk of injury to the knee, particularly at least for ACLs, is a squat jump, as you can do both double leg and then again advance it into single leg, looking at overall landing mechanics, but then also teaching them how or what the proper landing mechanics are so that when they're doing this, they know what they should be looking for and how to land correctly to, again, save their joints now. And also it will help with injury prevention when they're in an actual game setting. And then the last one I love is the monster walk. So then now we're adding a little side-to-side motion is where you just put a band around your feet, ankles, or knees, depending on how easy or difficult it is for you. Then you're just going to sidestep down um, along a hallway. It's a great exercise for glutes, but again, it's good for awareness of the entire lower leg position. You really have to watch, again, foot, knee, hip positioning, making sure the knees aren't collapsing inward. And um, I like to do this then and make it a little bit harder for, again, any of my ball or overhead throwing athletes is as we're going through the clinic and they're sidestepping down, we're throwing a ball back and forth. I'm having them multiply, tell me, count backwards from 100 by threes is, again, making it more mental, physical, um, putting all those components together is when they're on a court, again, they're not just thinking about one thing. They're thinking about the person that's guarding them. They see the mom, their mom or their girlfriend or boyfriend, whoever in the stands, you're thinking about 800 other things. So the best we can pull, um, like their thoughts to multiple different areas while they're playing, but still being safe will help again in injury prevention. So I just made a little observation on your, your list of essential exercises and noticed that the plank obviously has the lower body involved, but uh, the bridge squat, squat jump, and monster walk all have uh, kind of the hips in mind with uh, everything that goes on in a young athlete. Um, a lot of what you see, I think, in some of the younger population, because we have a culture of, you know, they go to school, they sit a lot. Um, there's a lot of video games and TV watching and on your phone a lot of the times. Um, not saying that that's all bad and things like that, but it does seem to end up leaving some of those core hip muscles uh, weak and hip flexors tight. Um, a lot of what you see in young athletes is their knees knocking in, like you said, and mm-hmm. hips. Um, can you kind of explain why that happens? Like why um, why you might see knees knocking or um, kind of instability through the knee, hip, and ankle? Um, like what? just what's going on biomechanically? Yeah, so when someone is either running or landing, Um, generally your body is trying to absorb force. So when you jump up in the air and you land, your ankles, your knees, and your hips should be able to take up that force. A lot of times um, when people are landing, they don't think about soft knees. They almost try to take up the force with everywhere else. So if they're not doing a soft knee landing, they're either hyperextending at their knees, which means really, really straightening it past the point of straight, or their knees collapse inward instead of um, absorbing the force through your hips. 
So when you land a squat or land a jump, it should almost end where you started it. Is that whole idea of starting in a squat, jumping up to a straight line, and then coming back to a squat allows your hips, knees, and ankles to take up that position. Now, generally, we see the knock knee um, or knees collapsing in a lot more with females, and part of that is anatomy-based, is females generally have a little bit wider hips, and then their feet are a little bit closer together. So that's where they call it a little bit of an inverted triangle, where, again, feet are narrowed, hips are wider, which then puts us biomechanically at a disadvantage, where the glute muscles are almost always too weak for what we're asking the body to do. So that's where, at least for females, hip strengthening is, like, one of the most important things you can possibly do, but also the education aspect of where their knees should be when they're landing. It's not generally as much of an issue with males, unless I'm really seeing, I would say, someone younger that just has not quite hit puberty yet, is they're pretty active, but have not quite hit that growth spurt yet, aren't really, they're just, haven't quite banked much muscle yet as they're starting to grow, so their body is using all of their food and nutrition energy towards growth, but it's more height growth, not actual muscular growth. So like more kids where you can just see every bony bump on them, and those are the kids that I'm seeing a little bit more of that collapsing knee position is they just don't have the muscular strength to help support that leg position. Um, so again, more a lot of it's based off of anatomy, just where your hips are, where your feet are, but a lot of it is brute strength too. So if you just don't have hip strength, your whole leg is basically going to rotate inwards where your kneecaps would face each other a little bit, if you could imagine that happening. Um, just because, again, your glutes control that position. Some of it does come from the feet as well, so good foot position is also another piece that helps take care of that. So if you don't have good calf mobility, if the calves are always tight, you really can't pull your toes towards your nose. If you lose that mobility there, your body's going to take take the motion up somewhere else, and then that leads to more knee collapse. So this is where it is kind of a multi-joint, um, multi-muscle assessment, as you're not just looking at one body part. Yes, we've talked a ton about the hips and like core strength, but it is more of looking at each individual piece and really where are the issues coming from. All right, thanks for asking that, or answering that. Um, so... so We've been kind of very general about the ages that we're going to, you know, we've been kind of talking about that, like middle school, high school age group, I think, right? Yes. So when is like the earliest that you would recommend someone coming in to see a physical therapist or seeing somebody regarding their their kids training in the off season or training during the season to keep them injury free. I mean, obviously if they're having pain, right, they right. should see somebody. Um, but is it someone they should consult early? Like when should they talk, when should they ha sit their kid down or have their kid do some of these exercise programs? Or is it just about getting your kid out and having them be active and play and things like that? I mean, I've seen a lot of different ages of of individuals so I think the youngest athlete I've seen is the age of eight now again it was not very aggressive play um, they were having a bunch of other like just a lot of growth issues so it was just pain due to really fast growth that they were experiencing I know at eight it was kind of early so everybody's kind of surprised by that um, 
But I mean, we did start resistance training with this individual. They just were not capable of handling any weight. So, I mean, I've done it with as early as eight just for resistance. So again, strength training does not have to mean just weights. It can be resisted. So even when we're talking about physical therapy with, with infants, when they have to lift their head, they're actually lifting against resistance because believe it or not, gravity is still pushing enough pressure on us. So most things you do against gravity, you have some resistance. It's just, again, choosing a safe, safe range. So, I mean, I'd say kind of 10 to 12 is kind of like a good age range. And really earlier than that, I would say most kids probably aren't participating in sports more than 10 hours a week. Like you're probably only doing maybe some intramural or some soccer one to two hours a week for two days a week. Like at that point, it's more fun. It's not really that competitive. And there's a lot of rest days in between. It's more when we start talking about 10 to 12, 13, you're starting to get into some travel ball, more year-round play where that wouldn't have been considered earlier, but kind of that seventh, eighth grade is when some of that starts to really kick up. So when it starts to become more sports all year long, more than two days a week is more when I would consider looking at some of that. And I, and I think something to think about too is like before all of the science came out about, you know, exercise and as we've fine tuned that over the past, you know, 30 years in terms of sports training and things like that, people were generally fine as long as they were active, right? So I guess the, the point that I'm trying to make is that like if your kid is in multiple sports and is super active, unless they're in extreme pain or they're noticing things, they're, they, they're probably going to be fine. But I think it's more important, like when you said, when it gets more serious and maybe kids are playing a specific sport for longer periods of the year where they're putting themselves into the same positions over and over and over again, where you might be creating muscle imbalances or where you might need to do a little bit more off ice training to keep your body well-rounded and moving as a human rather mm -hmm. than some of the weird positions that we get into to do different sports. Right. So just due to where we are located, so we're in a pocket of Wisconsin where like soccer, soccer basically walks and talks everything around here. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those sports that kids can play all year round because we have indoor facilities. So when I'm working with someone that's maybe a seventh or eighth grade, they're already playing soccer year round. So what it's, yep. it might not be just soccer, they're playing futsal in the winter, but they're at least playing two, three days a week, games on the weekends and then still playing for fun with friends. Maybe if they go to the gym and they're playing indoor futsal or going just if it is nice out during our short summer span of the year that they can actually go out and run and they'll just go and do that for fun on one day, not, not included in their practice time um, that they end up playing soccer and that almost ends up being their sole sport they end up doing and like Brady said, you end up doing the same thing over and over again. It's a lot of the same agility, a lot of the same cut and runs. It's same kicking with the same leg. It's launching it with your right if you're a righty. And um, a lot of that gets so repetitive. And yes, there are some patterns you won't completely be able to take away because you're always going to be a right-handed individual. But there's certain things that you can emphasize to help, one, strengthen the other side. Make sure, again, your core muscles, even some of your arm muscles are strong enough as you can actually kick with using some of your pec muscles. You can truly use all of your muscles to help really accentuate certain motions. So like Brady said, when you're starting to do much more prolonged activity all year long with minimal to no rest, 
your body really starts to take a toll and starts to take a beating at certain joints. And that's where kind of, again, multiplanar movements, single leg things, uh, single leg things, single leg exercises and more specific training regimens can be really beneficial to kind of undo some of those multiple um, repetitive sports. Yeah, and I think you see a lot of youth coaches of youth sports say like it's important for in the off seasons to participate in other sports, but it's mostly for that reason Mm -hmm. is to make your body more well-rounded makes you a better overall athlete. Mm -hmm. And so that's not necessarily to say it's bad if you you only enjoy one sport or you only want to play one sport. It's just something that you have to consider. And if that's going to be the case, maybe you're an individual more likely to need the help of a physical therapist or a doctor or an athletic trainer um, or someone like that to kind of help you through that. Um, so they even have quite a bit of research out saying that more kids and, again, middle school, high school age that play multiple sports are, one, less likely to get injured and, two, more likely to go to the Olympics. So, like, not that it matters that you're going to the Olympics or playing at the highest, highest level, but the people that are playing different sports throughout the year do much better, have much less injuries, but then also have more playing time, which then gives them, again, just more time in front of eyes of people if they do want to play in college, if they do want to play at a different higher level. Um, But also, again, just keeps their body a lot happier because they're doing a bunch of different motions all of the time and not just the same ones every day. So it really does make a big difference to um, to really, I don't want to say push other sports, but keep keep their mind open to different options is maybe if they were going to go play soccer, like, well, why don't you guys go play basketball today instead, or go try tennis today. It's those different sports are going to make a big difference on their body, but also on their future. Yeah. The the biggest thing I think parents, I wish parents would understand more is you want to make the best 20 to 25 year old athlete, not the best 14 year old athlete. Right. Um, so we've gone for quite a while, so I want to wrap up a little here. Um, <clears throat> so I guess, what should a parent of a teenager, or if a teenager is listening to this, what should you take away about? I guess your training. Um, like, what would you, what, what would the takeaway message be in terms of like what you should be doing at home? Like, how should you be going about? making sure you're doing the right things to make yourself the best athlete? Uh, Number one, I always say, if it hurts, don't do it. So if you're pushing through something, it hurts. You just loaded up a new weight. You just did a new exercise, but didn't feel good. Don't try it again. Try one more time. But if it hurts, don't do it. It's not something you should put through. It's not worth risking an injury. And then that's maybe where you should seek some help. Um, Make sure you're exercise or your progression of your strength training is always changing. If you're doing the same thing all the time, even the same lifts, um, your body gets used to it. Your body will always adapt and it will get used to what you're doing, which means your body will stop changing. Your muscles will stop changing and they'll stop getting bigger, stronger, faster. So mixing in agility, speed, strength training, working on power, go heavier, heavier lifts one day, lighter lifts another, change up those different compound motions. That will make a huge, huge difference. Uh, flexibility is important too. So as much as we talked about strength is 
Um, make sure you warm up before you lift or do any strength training activity. Is I cannot stress enough the importance of just a dynamic warm up. Is walk, elliptical, get on a bike, get your muscles and your blood flowing and pumping first. Do a couple of those dynamic warm ups you've done in sports. So high knees, butt kicks. Frankensteins, inchworms, some spinal rotations with lunging, just different things to get your body warmed up and ready to go for those, for those activities. Um, once you have completed like a week's worth of activity, make sure you rest as you cannot go through a strength training program and expect to see changes if you are not resting. You need to have at least one rest day per week. It can, I, I like to tell people you can have an active rest day. So it doesn't mean sit on the couch, play video games, like sit on Instagram or Snapchat all day as you have like get up, go walk around the block. You can still ride your bike down um, to the local store, or go to the, ride your bike to the movies, go to a park. You can still do things like that. Stretch, but don't go and don't run around a soccer field to work on your speed on your off day. You should still let your body rest. It needs to recover. Um, and then the last thing would also be nutrition. I know it's kind of outside of our scope of practice where that's definitely more of a dietitian's area, but particularly if you are working on strength, you have to replenish your body. Like particularly for females, but also for males, you need to make sure that you're having enough protein um, and also calcium. Calcium helps your body absorb protein. So um, if you are upping your activity level, you need to make sure you're eating enough. Again, it doesn't mean Pringles or a bunch of chocolate or ice cream. You need to make sure you're loading it with, with good, healthy nutrients. So green leafy vegetables, and then again, proteins with good, uh, with plenty of water to go with it. If you are supplementing with protein shake, whether it's whey, soy, uh, you need to make sure if you're drinking that, you have at least eight to 12 ounces of water to go with one protein shake because all your kidneys are going through and digesting that. So you need to make sure you're loading your kidney with enough, your kidneys and your body with enough water to help break, um, break the protein down. So it is a nice way to supplement, but you just need to make sure you're drinking enough water. And then overall, just have fun. As, as Overall, that's the most important thing. As much as we're talking about the serious aspects of it, um, you want to make sure you're having a good time. If you're not having a good time, you're not going to do it. You're not going to put your full effort into it, which then also could mean more chance of injury. So have fun, but be safe. And make sure, again, for parents, just make sure you know who's watching your kids or who's helping them out while they're there. Um, yes, they can have fun and they can goof around a little bit, but while they're lifting, make sure someone is there that's knows what they're doing and that can advise them if they're doing things that are unsafe. All right, Aaron, thank you for uh, <clears throat> helping us get a little bit of a handle on how we should be handling our young athletes and making them better athletes and better people. And if you have any questions about um, how to make your healthcare team for your, your child to become a better athlete, we, uh, we can help you. We can help refer you to the proper physicians, dietitians, um, we can help you create programs. We can help you make sure that you're going to be safe and that you're progressing like you should. Um, if you have any questions about that, please feel free to contact us at freedompt.com or call any of our locations, and we can uh, get that together for you. Um, so have a wonderful uh, day, and uh, it was good to have you on. Bye.
This podcast is brought to you by Freedom Physical Therapy Services, providing one-on-one comprehensive physical and occupational therapy services, including women's health, chronic pain treatment, TMJ, and more. With four locations in Fox Point, Grafton, Brookfield, and McGuanago, Wisconsin, more information at freedompt.com.